The world is made up of an unimaginable number of beings, all exchanging energy, effort, and ideas. Within this jungle, value is in the eye of the beholder. And we here at this little radio entity would never demand you give back or paywall our shows, mostly because we know that you will be the one solely responsible for your own karma. Meanwhile, while you don't donate, Kurt and I are stacking merit like a ballot box, making our ghost friends even stronger. If you like the idea of both giving back and having a potent empowerment for your spirit team, there's a donate button in the show notes, and you can offer that merit to any spirit of your choosing. Or if you're on a podcasting 2.0 app, which we recommend, you can donate Bitcoin easily, and beyond that, I am always looking for special materials like lightning-struck wood, ritually grown or foraged herbs and roots, ethically sourced human remains, and much more I haven't even thought of yet. We are a value-for-value value podcast, which means that we ask you, our beloved listeners, to honestly ask yourselves, each one of you, what you get out of the show. And then simply return the favor in whatever way that works best for you and in whatever amount that you decide upon. Donors of over $50 have the option to be thanked on air if they'd like to. And a monthly recurring donations of $20 or more includes you in a monthly blessing by Kurt, myself, and Tim Saylor from our sister show, Nightbird Radio Podcast. Talented magicians working closely with Arahant monk remains, angels, and saints for your prosperity and protection. We cannot keep this project up without your love and support. Thank you. Now, enjoy the show. very professional or or we're welcome to go on to all kinds of tangents whatever awesome. you satisfy awesome i like kind that. of look at us like we uh we're the the podcast where serious magicians and artists go to not be serious <laughs> exactly i like that i like that energy uh I, um so have you read promethea before yeah all of it um i discovered it as a 19 year old <laughs> oh wow <laughs> So it's been exactly a decade. <laughs> That's funny. I think I might have read it about the same amount of time ago. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, and it's really interesting to revisit it, especially now as someone who's actually not an armchair person anymore. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but then also... Uh, there's so much in this that that is still this like super relevant still massively massively yeah massively, massively. I um uh, 
I yeah, I think it's the per, it's a per, it's the perfect sort of gateway for dilettantes. That's kind of how I saw it when I was uh, <laughs> when I was ni- a nineteen year old dilettante. Um, I I am still a dilettante in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways, but I was even more of a dilettante then, and it was my first sort of step beyond the sort of vague dilettantish knowledge about occult mysteries that I had picked up from comic books or through like reading little zines about Crowley or whatever the hell. Um, so is, it was my first introduction into the, into the heavy stuff. Yeah, and um, it, it, it does, I think it serves as like a great general, I think you're right, like the idea of like the, the for a Delta, actually that should probably be on the cover. <laughs> it's probably what it should be. Because yeah. it is sort of like this great, this great huge download of, a specific current of like Western occult tradition, um, yeah. all compacted into this like really, and it's the other thing is it has, uh, what is his name? J. H. Williams the third, I think, is the artist's name. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, like the the panel layouts in this book, are, I like. There's not very many thing pe- comics that do stuff like this. Yeah, like it gets it's really crazy and weird, and there's so many like circular. You get to some spreads that just like weave in and out of themselves and are almost this like you can just sort of pick a bubble and like work your way around it and uh, like and that, that's always it's it's always interesting to me that that Alan Moore is like so obsessed with time and that's such a big component to actual like comic books because oh, the, yeah. the way they work the time is laid out in front of you. Oh, yeah. And in fact, there's that there's that moment in like especially towards the end where the woman is like ejected from reality and she's she's on the roof and she sees like all the pages laid out as they <laughs> as they go off into space. It's a it's a huge motif in his latest magnum opus, Jerusalem. Um, oh, so, I've always want, I haven't I've wanted to read it. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so good. It's so good. I have a book club that I do with my podcast, and I want to sort of tackle it with them, but it's so big it's such a huge tome that I think it would be like a year long commitment um (laughs) or more even uh it would be like a year just reading it and then another year just like discussing it's almost like his version of the red book experience um because obviously he's getting up there in age and it the, the book deals a lot with time and mortality his sort of concept of the afterlife, um, which yeah. kind of, he sort of takes the concept of the immateria that he introduces in Promethea and like pushes it to its most logical extent in um, in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, so it, it's kind of like a through line through his his body of work. Yeah, he's got that, he's got that, um, it's in full, I know a lot of it's informed by, I think it's, it's called like the time block theory or something like or just just in general seeing time from a higher perspective Mm. and what that like what that's like Mm -hmm. and and that's that's an obsession that goes all the way back to um uh at least uh watchmen if not earlier there's Mm -hmm. probably something earlier than that but that's the one that that stands out he talks Um, about having had a flight with uh the demon asmodeus um who appeared to him in the form of a spider or something along those lines. It's one of those like very long convoluted stories he told on a podcast once. Um, and he sort of talks about how he was taken up into the fourth dimension 
and how he sort of witnessed time in this very kind of uh, interesting way. And I think that that experience is probably what inspired his uh, his uh, <laughs> some of his writings in Promethea and some of the stuff he, he goes through in Jerusalem and, and Watchmen and all the stuff we've been talking about. I was gonna say it felt like kind of an angelic view of time, except like like grungier. And then you're like, yeah, he had this experience with a demon, and it's like that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I, I guess we're, we're recording, right? We're not just chatting away. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Like, yeah. We're like we're missing all the meat. Okay, well, yeah. Like I guess um, part of the reason why I think Promethea is so relevant for now is because of how effing weird everything is getting especially with the introduction of these new technologies especially towards the beginning of the year like people have been freaking out about artificial intelligence and its capabilities i mean it's it's obviously been building for a while but this is sort of the first time we're seeing a massive kind of mainstream russian panic around around it and it almost seems as if the immateria and uh reality are merging in a way and it's uh <laughs> It's that like there's a, there's even a trend in fashion right now where people are wearing hyperstitions. Recently, there was a, a sort of model who was photographed wearing these like Astro Boy boots. You know the character Astro Boy, the anime character. Um, yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some famous fashion brand has like re recreated the boots, and it's like now the latest fashion statement. And you know, it's in and you know people are people in fashion are kind of talking about hyperstition as the new trend things from the world of fiction breaking into the world of reality and it's really interesting because in the first in the first uh, Promethea the first issue of it um, when she's sort of first being initiated she's taken through the suits of the the, the the major arcana of the tarot and one of those suits Alan Moore describes as the Aeon which he mm -hmm. kind of depicts as the, the, the immateria and the materia merging together through the merging of man and machine like that's sort of the imagery he uses which I found really interesting but it's not really a thread that I I fully like found a coherent kind of explanation for but I'm, I'm following it I'm following the schizo theories uh, as much as I can um but yeah I just I thought that was really interesting it kind of does feel like we're living in a time where we're all being forcefully initiated in the way that Promethea was, whether we like it or not, um, like now is is a time of like mass initiation in a way. Yeah, definitely. I think like everyone's going through an apocalypse of some kind in the last, like from now until, you know, who knows when, like it's, it's just ongoing. It's like, if it hasn't touched you yet, which I don't know how it couldn't have, like the rapid changes and the rapid, uh, to mold that's got to be like the pot's got to be stirred um and yeah it's going to touch everybody massively massively it's an interesting time to be a quote unquote into the occult or like a magician or whatever um yeah <laughs> to earth they said it'll be a good time they said <laughs> um i think you brought up a really good point that this 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 uh, graphic novel brings up an incredible point with like the distinction between actual, like it, it brings up this idea to me because I, I'm, I'm one of those people that subscribes to like uh, consciousness cannot be created through machines. Like I think infinite complexity can be recreated in, in the physical world and you can create the illusion of intelligence, the recombination, but like there isn't actually that spark of conscious consciousness there. Mm. Um, perhaps consciousness can inhabit machines, right? 
um, or manip we know they can manipulate electrical circuits. So like the idea that perhaps the machines are being possessed is another thing altogether. But I think there's an important difference here, which something you brought up reminded or made me think of the the difference between actually being in like creating AI or believing in AI. Because in the immateria, right, the comic book guy, the 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 like all the fanfic got attributed to the shitty fan fiction got attributed to that one guy, right? Mm -hmm. Um Neptune, was it something Neptune? Mm -hmm. Or um Oh, oh, you're thinking of uh it was that that particular that was a pastiche of all of the different uh ghostwriters that yeah. would write under one name. Name, yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, so he didn't exist in the real world, but in the immateria, he was a villain. So like, what is AI in the immateria? You know what I mean? Like, it, mm -hmm. it brings up an interesting distinction there. Like, yeah. might, AI might not actually be real, but there might be some spirit that represents it because we've created that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting to think about a lot of what's happening in, in occult terms. Like, I'm still kind of mulling over. <laughs> I'm still kind of mulling over it, but I feel like, I feel because I I reread some of Prometheus in preparation in preparation for this and I I kept seeing I kept seeing parallels um and I and, and mainly in terms of the tools that she's given to protect herself within this new terrain that she's sort of being introduced into and I feel like we currently have none of those tools of protection or at least the culture we have doesn't arm us with the tools that we need in order to navigate the increasing complexity that surrounds us, especially technologically. I mean, the internet and like the introduction of smartphones has already had a ma major psychological and spiritual impact. And now, you know, there hasn't really been a major wave of technology since then, but now this entirely new thing has come along, um, which will pose its own uh, psychic and spiritual <laughs> challenges. Um, and I, I love how the way that Promethea is initiated is sort of grounded in a tradition. It's ground. It's sort of a grounded system um, that helps her sort of navigate this this new terrain. But we have like we have none of that. We don't have any of that anymore. Unless you like specifically go out to seek it, or you are somebody who attempts to cultivate that for yourself. The culture is you know the opposite. It's like it, it deters you from creating any of those safeguards, so that you're just kind of a, a sitting duck <laughs> for the forces <laughs> of capital to kind of like get their claws into you um and yeah that that was kind of what it got it got me thinking about is the fact that we're yeah we're we're, we're heavily unarmed at the moment and unprepared for for what's to come <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I do think that that uh that's true but it, oddly the solution is is simple and that it's turning away and focusing more on like what's tangible and right in front of you in fact that's probably going to be the only thing that as because it's increasingly becoming um i think alan moore actually he said this for years that our culture is going to turn into steam uh <laughs> which is which sort of makes sense it's just this roiling churning mass that you don't know there's no way to tell anymore what's fact or fiction like it's things are constant, like everything that's mainstream media tends to be mostly, if you look, if you scratch the surface, it's like, oh, this is all bullshit. And it, and it's, it's actually weird to me because sometimes people will like know that about one part of it, but then accept another part of it entirely. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's th that nonsense that happens over here. That doesn't affect 
you know, this thing that I believe in, uh, but it, but everything. And so it's, it's like the only solution is like, you got to turn away from the glittering bauble. That's like, you know, the Las Vegas uh, uh, showroom and, and go outside and like, I mean, I know they say touch grass or whatever. That's the stupid yeah. internet term, but, but yeah. it is really like, uh, it's going to be, I think, personal connections and definitely and the, the real world. Yeah. The mechanisms through which those were formed before are like being eroded. Like we're being pushed to become more and more atomized to rely more and more on technology. Like part of me is like, yeah, there is an element of personal responsibility. Like you should touch grass. You should like, <laughs> you should do all the things that are good for you spiritually. But at the same time, we're so disincentivized from those things. It's easier to quote unquote live in the pod like than it is to <laughs> to form a, a life. Um, it, it, you're more, there, there are more incentives leading you towards the pod than there are towards like spiritual growth um and that means that there's something fundamentally wrong with the way we've organized society (laughs) um do you think is um like human nature and how much of that do you think is actual like intentionally trying to keep people uh sort of separated from the the possibility of sovereignty through spiritual practice um uh, that's a question for the ages mate (laughs) that's a question for the ages I mean I think I I definitely do think that it is a mixture of both just to a certain degree but I think that like one is usually emphasized over the other which is typically what happens when one faces these sorts of dualities I think there's a grain of truth within both like there's an element of it that's human nature that requires a certain amount of personal responsibility to surf and circumnavigate but there is also an element of it that's like on a more macro level societal and like rooted in the way that we organize ourselves and I feel like as above so below like you like you look at both you get you get the truth um which is kind of which is kind of how I see it um but yeah I feel like I feel like it's kind of why we're ill prepared currently to deal with this sort of massive wave of technology that's coming because most of it's being driven by the profit motive, not necessarily what's like best for society. Like for instance, recently Italy banned the app Replica. Um, They hit it with like a massive data ban. And and if you don't know what Replica is, it's basically like an AI companion. Um, And it's been sort of doing the rounds recently. The the CEO has sort of become the latest like a Silicon Valley superstar and she designed the AI companion after losing a, a friend and sort of used it as a way of coping with grief. But now she's touting it as like the cure for social alienation. And um, as, as a sort of therapist, as a friend, you can even access romantic features for a fee. Um, and basically uh, it's sort of, if you, it, it's sort of something that, you know, they're, they're, they have a really high user base the average age of their user base is like from the ages of 18 to 25. So obviously it's a very young user base. And yeah, recently Italy hit them with like a huge uh, data ban and also um, sort of banned it because they were concerned obviously for the mental health and well-being of their youth and also saw it as like something detrimental in terms of how it was harvesting the data of their young people. Um, So yeah, they, they hit it with a ban and it was one of those rare instances where the social fabric was prioritized over profit and the profit incentive. Um, that's not something that happens very 
frequently. Um, but like everything is now fair game for colonization by the market, including like our interior world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's it. Th- these are the certain ways we're kind of Im- ill prepared to deal with the current moment because I, I feel like these are questions that people often ignore. Um, and progress, quote unquote, is just seen as like a given, <laughs> whether it's good or bad, no matter no matter what impact it has on us spiritually or psychologically. Well, I think there's there's something about uh, there are like degrees of sovereignty, right? It's not just like one big nugget. <laughs> and you uh, when you when you trust someone to take care of you when you're sick, that's like you're outsourcing a small piece of it. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. But it, the same thing happens when you trust someone to put out like a literal fire or mm-hmm. come arrest a criminal uh, if someone's messing with you, right? And and then this gets taken to further and further degrees where you're trusting people to make decisions about your safety uh, through laws and through things. And, and a lot of this is forced upon you and it's expected and it's just sort of assumed by everyone around you. So there is this, um, it's not even, it's worse than a cult mentality because it's entire society, right? It's like, it's the norm to um, forego a large amount of yourself, like a lot more than you actually need to, um, because it, it bleeds from safety into comfort, into profit, like you're saying. And um, at some point, like you just don't know how to make decisions for yourself anymore. And like, this is a thing that's come up a few times on the show where, uh, and in, in private conversations where like, there's just, this whole phenomenon in the workforce where like younger hires don't actually know how to problem solve at all or or make decisions on their own um mm-hmm. and there's like this really weird stark difference there i and i think it's it's an escalation thing that that very well may be intentional one of the things that makes me say that every time i like try to be optimistic and just think like well things are just playing out this way it wasn't like some insidious plot by some you know, group of people contacting the nine or anything. And then <laughs> something about that. And, but I, you know, Reed, uh, Reed Wildermuth uh, turned me on to the fact that the same, that the, the man who created the whole concept for the nation state, like the way that all countries are founded now, it was in direct response to the existential threat against the kingdom of witchcraft by witchcraft. Mm. So like the idea of creating a, a whole, like a, a country is a state that's ruled by a government and that has hard borders. Mm. That entire concept was directly in response to like trying to fight witchcraft. So like, then you look at where we are today and you're like, huh, I wonder how many other things were like with that kind of notion in mind that like, if people are in touch with certain forces, they are a bit more difficult to control. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, in, in certain ways, like I think even beyond that if people are in touch with their like souls they're um harder to control (laughs) and I feel like all of these all of the different ways that technology is evolving seems to kind of lead in the opposite direction like even example something like TikTok it's like a trance it puts you in like a trance state (laughs) it like it's literally like that you're in a trance state scrolling and scrolling for hours on hours wasting time wasting energy and this thing is like profiting profiting from it um you know it's like uh it's 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 the the way the way that you know it kind of blurs reality and 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 this sort of realm of the digital 
it's not necessarily being done in a way that's like uplifting or like an apotheosis it's more like a degeneration of the soul like falling further down the ladder or whatever like it's like um it's like a it's like a a prison almost for consciousness and it seems as if that's kind of what what's being constructed um and even though I'm not declaring a butlerian jihad just yet, <laughs> I know we're talking about Prometheus today and not Dune. I am quite skeptical of technological progress being spearheaded by these sociopathic like market forces that only have like profit in mind and not like human, human progress, human expansion, all of those different things. Um, and like as much as I love Prometheus, and I know that Alan Moore is has explored concepts like this in, in his other in his other um work I felt I felt like he was I felt like he almost expressed a technological utopian perspective in this almost mm -hmm. as if he saw the sort of merging of the materia and the immateria through technology as a positive thing and as something that um I guess is desirable or positive in a way which I'm not necessarily sure I wholly agree with um but I don't want to assume I, it's just kind of what I garnered from reading it but like I wonder what you guys think of it I think that's interesting because it brings up a good question what is technology and what determines like what is there such a thing as good and bad technology mm. yes I think metaphysics is technology um like drawing a circle and calling your spirits that's technology mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the type of technology that we has have is is particularly interesting it needs matter it needs energy to be stuck in order to power it mm. which in and of itself seems kind of strange and um <clears throat> yeah i don't know it's see I'm, like i'm trying to yeah go ahead Oh, I was, I was just gonna say, I worry about the, um, the aspect of it that's metaphysical. Like, so what, what you're saying is absolutely true. People literally go into a trance, but what I'm doing when I'm charging a talisman or, or an enchantment is I'm going into a trance and I'm mm. pouring my attention into this thing mm. and it enlivens it and it charges it and then it can be used later and it, it gives it life. So like, what the fuck are we doing to our phones, to <laughs> data inside the phones, to the, the algorithm? Are, what are we charging? Like when we're going into trance and pouring energy to that. I, mm. I wonder how those technologies mix, but uh, mm. but I think there are probably better ways to do it than we're doing. I think, I think like there is probably some like solar punk beatific future out there where, um, where there's a lot more natural ways to use it. Like plugging a light bulb into a tree or some shit, you know. <laughs> Definitely. What I'm were you gonna to, say, Kurt? I'm trying to. I'm trying to sort. Uh, I, I'm curious what what it is that makes you made you read it that way. Because I'm trying to. I. I might just be being schizo, but I I felt like it was. I don't know. I felt like it was sort of this like almost like gnostic narrative. This idea of the ultimate goal being apotheosis, but in the, an almost reality rejecting way, but not in the sort of traditional sense, in the sense that like 
material the material world isn't viewed as as wholly uh negative or uh as as a sort of a prison for the soul in that sense that you know in in i guess in like sort of jung's gnosticism one is supposed to take ideas and messages from above like at the aspects of the good and like bring them into material reality whereas yeah. what alan moore is sort of portraying is almost like an an, an escapism a complete kind of uh, i guess a uh, ascension from the material realm is like the ultimate goal which i kind of found right. curious <laughs> i yeah i don't i see it's funny i don't know that i i don't know if i agree that that's what's happening i'm not sure because um, so there's two things that 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 make me think about that. That there there's one point in the book towards the end where it is literally the book starts talking to the person reading the mm-hmm. comic. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm what I think is actually he I what this is my interpretation. I think what he's actually saying is that you need to bleed the material into the material. I think mm-hmm. it's actually about bringing uh, that that. Uh, world of the imaginal you have to take that and you have to permeate the the actual physical war with that yeah and it's the merging of the two that, two. that is yeah that's that's the apocalypse is the mm-hmm. removal of that separation mm-hmm. and and merging them and that and that's also my take because that's sort of also that's my take on like narcissism yeah uh, narcissism in general <laughs> but it's, and, it uh, seems the only reason i bring it up is because it seems that that's the like major sort of philosophical tension at play within the different ethoses behind technology currently either it is sort of an eradication of the material and a sort of ascent into a different realm or whether it's bringing things from like like you said sort of bringing things from the material into the into the physical it's not like a total rejection of the the physical realm which is the, yeah, the, yeah. the side I tend to be on in that sense <laughs> like that's that, that's the side I tend to lean towards but I, I guess I saw the apocalypse or the fact that he sort of described it in apocalyptic terms in the sense that he was he was uh describing material reality as like imperfect or incomplete or corrupt in like a very kind of gnostic sense I guess but I, I don't know I don't know if that's what he was getting at but that, that was just sort of how I read it yeah that and i think i think that's always the um that is always the that's the that's the gnostic trap is mm. that is that oh this world is fallen and fucked up and you need to reject it but the but the reality is is that that's just a wedge that's driven between uh your your experience and the spiritual and that they're they're one and the same like this black iron prison is actually a beautiful garden, but it's just that this perception makes you think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that's his point. I think, I think that's what he wants to happen. But the other thing that, that I was thinking about is that there's the character of the painted doll. Which yeah, is yeah. This like, you know, like, like this, um, it turns out that it's this like, it's like his version of the Joker, almost this like agent of total chaos. <laughs> but is it turns out that it's actually this this AI robot that this guy has been creating like a million different versions of. And it's funny because I think it's one of the first things that stepped into the room with Promethea and is like, I you you've been I've been waiting for you. And like the, the big reveal it starts there. And I think and it's interesting to me that they he takes that character and then that's merged with the audience, mm. which I think that I think 
to me, that's also sort of the symbolism. It's this thing in that world, which would be a total like robotic Android thing. And it's like, oh, here's a mat completely material thing, mm. but, but you, you need, it needs to be inhabited. It needs mm -hmm. to be inhabited by an actual person. By an actual person. Yeah. Or by spirit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 mean, I think that's just my take. I also don't know where I'm at now in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of, I'm following you. No, I'm following you. I'm following you for sure. No. Yeah. I understand. I was, it was more so I was trying to unpick like his philosophical leanings I guess in terms of yeah where he and I, did, I didn't think it was like wholly clear <laughs> but then again it's probably not supposed to be but um I, I still yeah. find yeah sorry go, go ahead no 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 I I, I don't go ahead <laughs> no I, I was just saying I still find it super interesting because it that does seem to be that kind of weird dichotomy currently in the cultural landscape where it's uh where there's this like st strange tension between like the material and, and the immaterial but the immaterial yeah. isn't really appearing to us in terms of like our unconscious or our souls or contact with us or contact with that it's appearing to us through like these the sort of disembodied digital lives that we're all kind of occupying <laughs> at the moment um so it's, it's like almost yeah go ahead Sorry, it's like that moment in Indiana Jones where he swaps the statue out for the bag of sand. Like, <laughs> that's what they're doing with, like, these distractions. Like, I'm, I say they and I sound like a fucking conspiracy theorist, but, like, um, but it's, I mean, that is what's happening. <laughs> Whether or not it's intentional doesn't even matter. It's, like, what's happening to us is the ability to imagine is being replaced by the constant concern for a digital world rather than the internal imaginal world exactly exactly and by when you when i by the day i mean the day is us like it's not like some crazy nefarious conspiracy um it's like us being driven by our ego collective ego basically the thing that wants convenience um the thing that you know strives for status the thing that kind of like you know the thing that's behind you know the desire for profit all of those different things you know those are the drives behind the current system and those are our collective drives so we're kind of collectively responsible um it's I, was, I don't necessarily see it as being the new nefarious a uh, nefarious man. I think this is what naturally unfolds when we follow um our egoic drives rather than like our, our true drives and the same way this the um the i the i guess the smartphone is like a dark parallel of the the internal world the self um you know the the same you know it, it's like we're we you, you have to choose which one you're gonna which one you're gonna you know take and unfortunately the incentive is to 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 do the other thing to, to chase status to chase relevance, to chase, uh, you know, all the different things that were offered, convenience, all the different things that were offered by technology, um, all these things that take us away from from doing our our inner work. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's kind of the the thing that um, the current moment is forcing everyone to to face. And I feel like that's why I, at the beginning I said that we're all kind of force being forcefully put through the initiation process that Promethea goes through in the comic books, yeah. whether we like it or not, like the current moment is going to force us all to eventually come, come into stark, into stark um, co uh, conflict with these questions. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I do think that it's, it's both like, uh, cause I, I used to just think like, this is that, that the, the way things were headed was, purely like you're saying like the 
the the the parts of us that desire comfort or wish to just run away it's like it's true that's what's there but there also are like very intentional um very intentional ops to like get these things to happen like um like I was recently looking into cybernetics and cybernetics is a fascinating it's a fascinating thing to look into it was like a really big field of study for a while and it was essentially how to get how to gamify everything and make everything into uh, like a sort of digital control system. Yeah. And then they like kind of flushed that name, but you can still go find a bunch of stuff. And this was upwards of a hundred years ago that they were mm -hmm. talking about this stuff. Um, I do think that there is a through line of um, like rich, rich dynastic families that kind of have like an understanding of power in this higher way like i think that they there is occultism being passed down oh yeah oh through. yeah so i think that there is like some oh yeah various shit but it's it's like that is our responsibility like you're saying like it isn't i don't say that to say like it's okay to blame like oh it's them it's like no that is on you because like we three are sitting here lifted ourselves up from our bootstraps and have like tried to gain some perspective on these things you know um so that means uh, i'm an i i'm an ai actually i'm sorry <laughs> he was a bot that. the whole time <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no 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 i totally i totally like agree like i see that whole thing in more of like a robert anton wilson way in the sense that I believe nothing but have many suspicions. Um, like it's there's there's there are all kinds of things going on, but like like as as Jung said, like we're all you know we're, what the evil that you see in the world is also a fraction of what exists within you as well. So whenever you see nefarious happenings going on in the world, it's best not to look at them as totally alien. Mm -hmm. And like that's one of the things that. Um, because I'm 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 actually I'm doing a video for my channel right now on on Carl Jung like a seven part series on the seven sermons to the dead, um, oh, and one awesome. of the really one of the really interesting things that he he talks about is um, the notion that like <clears throat> like uh you know the 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 things the, the the current aeon that we're in the current age we're in is the one in which humanity will need to have the realization of evil, and the only way to do that is to not view evil as something alien. Um, I, during his life when he had his visions and he uh, saw you know cataclysms and war he sort of saw the source of war and the source of human conflict as our inability to view evil as something within us we always have to view it as something alien it, it's always seeded like in the other it's always outside of us in some form or another and yeah the only way that we can the one of the major themes of the current moment is realizing that the thing that's bad that you're seeing outside of you, the Jeffrey Epstein, the, the Raytheon, everything that you see that you think is bad, it, it's also part of you too. And you have to sort of get in contact with that part of yourself and, and understand it. Um, and it's something, it's the hardest thing to do. I, I, I struggle to do it. Like anytime I try to think about the mind of, I don't know, a mass shooter or a serial killer, it's disturbing, it's horrible. Um, it's not something that any sane person would want to look at. And I guess that's part of the reason why I found Jung's warning so grave when, when I was reading Red Book, because it's like, who among us is capable of that great task? <laughs> like, 
I don't even feel like I'm com- I'm I, I'm 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 capable of it. Um, even if you're going to look at Twin Peaks as a metaphor for the sort of ascension of the soul, like what Agent Cooper goes through, like he he loses, which I found like when um, the return came back. I, I, I don't know. There was something so melancholy about it because he loses and like Cooper is supposed to represent the best among us. Like he loves cherry pie. You know, he has a good sense of the good in life and he's he's compassionate he's kind he doesn't like sleep with the teenage girl when he when it's presented to him he he's an honorable guy but he still he still loses he still he still you know is overcome by his shadow self um and yeah I I think that that's kind of what was so what was so like harrowing about Jung's warning is that we do actually have to do this work and there is nothing that's gonna like hold our hands otherwise we're doomed and it's just yeah. like okay thank you so like reading red book and promethea at the same time kind of like broke my brain a little bit <laughs> <laughs> reading the two of those and then it also experiencing the current moment um you know the year begins outright you know ai is like you know causing havoc everywhere there's weird balloons in the sky uh the government yeah <laughs> Like it's just, yeah, we're in a very, we're very, we're in very weird, strange, very strange times, and yeah, I definitely feel like um, these are great guides. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Uh, no, what were you gonna say, Brian? Go ahead. Oh, um, what was I gonna say? Oh shit. That was a huge <laughs> ramble. So I, sorry, I apologize. No, 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 no. It's great. I'm. I'm trying to, I, I, um that that whole facing of the evil as a necessity oh i was i was i i think i think twin peaks the return is is particularly salient because it is it is in fact one of the most uh the ending of that particular series was one of the most it was bone chilling i don't know like i'm still disturbed years later yeah it's it is it's and he has this and i think i think maybe that is you know someone you could look at is maybe david lynch like he's yeah. actually engaging with this yeah he is because the time. work he pre- yeah because the work he's producing is legitimately disturbing like yeah. not like anything like i've watched a lot of horror movies i've watched a lot of like scary things nothing like there's because the it's, it's real series, yeah it's fucking real <laughs> it's like it grabs your soul and shakes it or something and um and i and like he's he's in he's an aquarius like me so we're like the master race number one number two (laughs) number two number two i love david lynch because he's as cynical about the current moment as i am because when we return to twin when we return to twin peaks I was expecting to see some of the warmth and nostalgia of the original series, but because he's showcasing and attempting to comment on our current period and the ways in which the world has changed and has been shaped, he doesn't show us any of that warmth. Even in the new generation of characters, like the kids who are born to some of the characters we know, they're all fucked up and they're all fucking lost and they're all like, um, they're almost quote unquote soulless. Um, Mm. And you know the, the 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 kind of arc of that series was an attempt to kind of restore the last sparks of light or to to kind of um to to rescue those last like sparks of soul and um he, he it it's a, it becomes it's a colossal failure 
Um, (laughs) And that was what I that was kind of what I find so so harrowing is I, I don't think people understand like how dangerous our drives are, how everything is the psyche in the same way that sort of Jung talks about. And if the psyche is in trouble, then everything is in trouble. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that's the reason why the end of Twin Peaks, the return was so bleak because that's the predicament that we're currently in. Um, and he, he commented on it in such an unabashed way that I really respect because people want the warmth and the cuddly Hollywood ending or the sort of utopian vision that they can cling to. Um, But Mm -hmm. there's nothing standing between us and the dark, but like our soul. And if we don't, (laughs) we don't address it. We're not looking at a good predicament um, at all. Like, yeah, Um, everybody wants that ending, but uh, what are people going to be talking about 20 years from now? Is it going to be all the other Hollywood movies or is it going to be Twin Peaks The Return? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I want more. I want more, but I don't think there will be any more. (laughs) Maybe not. With with David Lynch being into, like, transcendental Buddhist meditation and then watching Twin Peaks The Return, I was, like, just nodding for the last few episodes. Like, I get it, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Was like this yeah american american pie black coffee like play the hero play the hero become obsessed with playing the hero become obsessed with saving the day miss the point altogether mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's also it's also interesting that the that the the only the only part of agent cooper that's that's projected as good in that good. series is when yeah. he's like dougie when he's with dougie. this absolutely like almost moronically comatose human being that's just yeah. sort of drifting through reality no he's the Tao. he's like the embodiment of the Tao, which is why oh, yeah. <laughs> which is why i love dougie he literally is what a human being would be like if they lived by the Tao. he just sort of <laughs> and that's why he has such good fortune like the casino scene is probably one of yeah. my favorite scenes in all of television history Mr. Jackpots, um, <laughs> like the reason why he has such good fortune and why he's such a joy is because he's like literally he's it's like the two when when Cooper entered the Black Lodge and got stuck there he's sort of split into two and the good part of him um, Dougie is sort of released as a counterpart to Mr. C mm. so out of this sort of metaphysical realm emanates a great evil Mr. C but in order to counter that Dougie is sort of brought into the world um and those are like the two and because because cooper failed to face his shadow in the black lodge he kind of splits off into well, these two yeah. <laughs> these two like dualities and um he because yeah like you said his obsession with being the hero his ego his ego got in the way he wasn't like being led by the self the sort of transcendental self and it, it was sort of a, a cautionary tale of what happens when the transcendental self is repressed in favor of the ego and we're not just doing that in our personal lives or in this in the macrocosm like in ancient with agent cooper in the macrocosm we're doing it too and and it's even scary because we have big tools big tools that have existential implications and we're a society that's being driven purely by ego consciousness and that's fucking scary like that's why jung had all of those apocalyptic dreams and like visions and like why he saw visions of war and then also before he died he saw like a great cataclysm for the 21st century as well. Um, But obviously that information is like under wraps, like no one really knows much about what those visions entailed, but it wouldn't surprise me, like, you know, and that's kind of, um, that's kind of why, where I was, why I kind of, despite being, I guess when I first watched the 
ending of Twin Peaks, I was disappointed and sort of like, oh, this is nihilistic. But after having had hindsight and thought about it, it's like, yeah, it makes, it makes fucking sense. Like it's a, a cautionary tale in a way. Um, and I don't think any more even needs to be said. Like even if he doesn't make any another one, like it would be fine as it is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> although, although if he could make the thing that would lead us out of this, that'd be kind of cool. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's up, it's I mean, up to I, us. It's up to us. I mean, I, yeah, may, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, it's what, what it's also it's funny because going back to like what you were saying about us it's like we're we're slowly being led into this like concrete pen and that's what the imagination is it's this yeah. everything is artifice and it's even and uh, i i kind of like keep a an eye towards like pop culture and pop culture right now is just this redundant recycled oh it's yeah just, oh yeah oh yeah and it's and it's been and they they just keep beating it and resuscitating something that i think eventually it's going to have to collapse and then new stuff will come out of it and and i and and that kind of goes back to the the with promethea with like oh there's an apocalypse but then there's an after the apocalypse Mm. and that's that's what you know what is that and there's there's hope in that yeah but it's just it's got to be it's going to be really bad before yeah it is, but that's the thing is that we stand on the precipice of two different apocalypses at the moment. Like we're in apocalyptic times for sure. I think all of us on a soul level feel that. Um, but it's either going to be the good apocalypse, like what it, like what's per- portrayed in Promethea, where we gain the levels of understanding that will allow our consciousness to evolve, um, or it will be the bad apocalypse, which will mean us kind of perverting that linear progression and attempting to hijack it and it or or pervert it in in a certain way like even the sort of idea that's like pushed by tech utopianists of merging with the singularity or whatever like in some kind of um bad science fiction novel way that i feel i feel like something like that would be a spiritual crime in the sense that it's hijacking the process of of apotheosis like a quick kind of cheat sheet like i don't know if you've seen the and the anime series evangelion neon genesis evangelion i am not an anime fan but my boyfriend forced me to watch it because he was like you're gonna love this and i did (laughs) like i actually was like fucking blown away by it um but i saw i I guess i saw the kind of project of human instrumentality as kind of a metaphor for how we want to use technology to ease our pain to sort of put us in a state of non-duality a state of non-being like the way that technology is being used to atomize us to sever us from our drives to separate us from the world it's sort of being sold as an antidote to pain to the pains to the pain and the harshness of existence like even something like replica for instance oh are you lonely are you atomized here you can design this like little sim character that will like pretend to be your best friend and therapist or whatever i see this sort of (laughs) unconscious spiritual drive that's that's driving the advancement of technology as being almost like a, a drive to return to the plumora, pleroma, sorry, <laughs> like to return to this kind of weird state of like non-being and, and non-duality. Because I feel like we, what we're saying is we find the dualities of life and reality too difficult. Uh, you know, the way that you see currently there's like a war between men and women in the online sphere. There's a war between left and right you know, polarity is more, you know, there's wars between countries going on. Polarity is more 
you know, apt than ever. Like we're, we're feeling it so much. And it's almost because we haven't learned to cope with the dualities of existence. We want to almost use technology as a way of returning to like a non dual state and i i see that as like a perversion of of the natural progress of spiritual of apotheosis i feel like it's um a way of rejecting life a way of saying no to the path that we're supposed to follow um but i feel and it's also the ego as well it's the ego leading the way rather than the self and i feel like that's like the major spiritual struggle going on at the moment and also why there's this kind of weird um tension between like the hyper reality that exists within and then the fake one that we've like created outside of us in the form of like technology as well like which do we choose do we choose to explore our depths or do we choose to fall endlessly into this like hall of mirrors um and yeah i feel i feel like that's what's going sorry to take it on this huge existential no that's that's what the show is <laughs> that's literally what the show is for um, no i think you're right i think we're in the path of mercury right now <laughs> like that's yeah. the, the technological aspect of where we are it's the like inverted twisted demented version of, of of how technology should be i think or how it should be employed anyway <clears throat> you, you brought up a couple a couple things like um for one i think this entire story was a hyper sigil like i think i think he wrote this entire story to scoop up every possible concept and idea he could match those concepts to an existing tradition mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like syncing up with something in reality but mm -hmm. also non-reality also mm -hmm. the immateria like um and then leading it all through this process of the apocalypse and the apocalypse like there's some destruction but it kind of ends and like then everyone is just spiritual and it was like him trying to help usher in the new aeon because mm -hmm. he's clearly into Crowley right yeah big like I think, <laughs> I think it was his his efforts to try and just like help nudge things along yeah uh because like when you when you mention a bunch of different concepts at once you're invoking them right it's like it's like in the heptameron when you're conjuring an angel you mention like what day what week what month what season all these things like so you're locking in position it's like the same sort of thing like he's locking in all these ideas and concepts and things about the world that are headed in a certain direction so he's like sinking in with them and then mm -hmm. pulling him with him into a better future mm -hmm. he's trying to and i think that's a really noble noble cause <clears throat> the other Absolutely. thing that I brought up was um what you were saying about like how if we don't confront our shadows it's not just on the micro but it's also in the macro that's actually like it's helping me a lot because something in my practice that's come up recently was for a long time I was mostly into like Christian spirits, but sort of from an animist perspective. Like it was like, these are the ones I have a right to fuck around with, you know, that I was born and they were given to me. Um, so <clears throat> approaching them, there's no matter how much work I've done, there's still like a little bit of Christian sort of guilt and, and these sort of, um, Cloudy. read red book <laughs> yeah i i really he reconciled all of that for me the the, the duality between christian and paganism like there's there's oh, a that, lot of it's not about that i don't have <laughs> like i i have a christianimist creed that i wrote where it, it invokes christ as a necromancer so like um <laughs> i'm good with mixing all this stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, especially like if you, if you have a problem if anybody listening to this show has a problem mixing christian and other things or feeling weird about it just go to the pgm They've got angels and Jesus in there with with Hellenistic gods. It's good stuff. 
Um, With the PGM being the Greek magical papyri. Right. Thanks, Kurt. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it is it is the most frustrating acronym in existence. <laughs> you're like, wait, how does wait? Yeah, what? it doesn't actually. It's not an acronym. Um, and uh, so something that I and I know a lot of my friends and a lot of people in groups I'm in have had trouble with. It's like worrying your spirits are going to be like like oh, you didn't show up to pray, say your prayer today, so I'm not going to show up for you when you need me. Like, there's this fear of abandonment projection stuff that goes on um, because of our own personal issues. And what's funny is, like, I think that there, there's also this, this concern that maybe some spirits are, and, and some definitely are, right, but, like, that some spirits are just in it for themselves and they're trying to trick you or whatever. Like, even the ones you know are good and they're your helpers. Like, sometimes you worry, are they trying to, like, human concerns that you that belong in human relationships for the most part um what i've realized is like ever since i have gotten a little bit dipped some toes into buddhism and like kind of gotten to understand how even your demons like how they kind of accept that even your demons are teachers right and and that the most praise goes to the hardest lessons and all these things um these things that i feel like i knew innately but someone's finally given me permission or an excuse to like fully sink into those those kind of ideologies um going back what i'm noticing is that some of the spirits that i worked with actually did have that quality at the time and i was right but it's only because i had it within me mm. like they've they've shown me like i i brought that into the relationship mm. right like i i brought the the idea of selfishness in or the idea of of worrying about self-gain or um, being abandoned or all those things. And that actually like polluted the channel, which is fucking fascinating to me. Like when this was kind of shown to me, it was like, oh God, so so this this applies to not only the spirit relationships, but now I have to like re-examine human relationships and oh, how yeah. often am I the one, even if I don't like show a sign of it, just bringing that seed of suspicion or of mistrust or of whatever into an environment into a, a closed like bubble with someone else like you are bringing that in and it might come from them it might manifest in them and not you oh yeah, oh, yeah. and so when you're saying this thing about like expand that to the whole fucking universe it's kind of blowing my mind i know oh, that yeah. was the macrocosm versus the microcosm is literal like you know as above so below like even a lot of the psychological problems that we have like as a society, like some of the cult, the sort of cultural maladies are reflected in like the political sphere um, and vice versa. Like they sort of feed each other, um, you know, I feel, and I guess that's where my, cause like, I, I guess I, you know, I remember right for Newsweek, I do this stuff, blah, 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 blah. My, my, my roaming around in the political sphere is really looking at stuff from the microcosm perspective of the magician <laughs> like that's mm -hmm. kind of my thing is that I try to look at these sort of grander societal cultural political issues from a more kind of spiritual like perspective or at, at least attempt to lend spiritual insights to them and I guess that's kind of been a lot of the frustration and kind of tension especially since like the 1960s after a lot of the sort of political energy was dissipated and kind of destroyed there was this sort of move inwards 
and you can't really blame people for doing that because like no one wants to get followed around by the FBI or like killed by or whatever like people there was a sort of move inwards among especially like the intelligentsia and like the bourgeoisie there was this sort of move towards an, an more internal spirituality and there was this idea that if one ventured inward that that would save you know the world and of course in the modern age that could, that's sort of looked at with scorn and ridicule because you have all these sort of selfish yuppies at their meditation retreats um, not really doing much for anyone but themselves in that sense um, but at the same time as above so below like with the there's a duality that that is is true there is a certain amount of work that you have to do on yourself you do have to traverse your own depths you do have to kind of sort your own house out before you're kind of able to be effective in the world but that also doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to be effective in the world even if it's just attempting to engage with the current paradigm through a spiritual lens and finding a way of giving that information to people i'm not saying you have to go out and fucking protest or like fucking i don't know donate to 10 food banks even something as simple as people who have this occult knowledge using it to explain society and what's going on in front of people's eyes now um, instead of just using it as this thing that's like in the back cupboard that's like weird and esoteric that you sort of use as either a way to bolster your own grandiosity or this and that like you know then that's kind of where I see a lot of lacking is like uh, the more I delve into this sort of occult knowledge the more I see parallels with the everyday um, not just in terms of the interpersonal like psychological dimension but also in terms of our societal cultural things as well and I feel like people who are interested in this knowledge have a duty to kind of show how that is like make it less esoteric for people like demystify it sort of thing like allow them to see and, I, and, that, and that's kind of the reason why I appreciate Jung so much is because that's like precisely what he did with Red Book that's why I appreciate Alan Moore so much is because that's exactly what he did with Promethea too like the whole point of Promethea is that as you're reading it you are being initiated into the mysteries you are Promethea, <laughs> um, you yeah. are the the sort of, you, you. by the time you finish it, you're supposed to kind of become the adept in, in this sense. In this sense. Um, and I feel like we need more ex initiatory experiences like that, um, either through art, through whatever it is, like we need to start kind of initiating people into the mysteries because the way the world is going, like people are gonna need them. <laughs> like <laughs> this isn't just like some Dungeons and Dragons toys to play around with, like these are tools for life. and. Uh, I feel like, you know, it's important for those who have access to them to try their best to arm others as best as they can. That's, I, I, that is a brilliant message. And I hope everyone that hears this takes that to heart because that's, yeah, it's funny because that's like, Kurt and I've kind of been talking about this, like just in our chats and stuff about like how most of the occult world is very, like everyone wants I think everyone feels insecure because of academia rejecting them. Oh yeah. And I but think who, who, who more than Carl Jung, who was, he, you know, the acclaimed, like reading, going on this journey made me realize that like the entire field of analytical psychology is based in weird occult woo woo shit. And the reason he yeah. didn't release red books till 2009 is because he, he was a pragmatic man. He didn't, you know, he knew that the field of science would reject him. I mean, he, you know, spent the last half of his year, the last half of his life, you know, kind of ostracized and maligned. And I think it's, it's I think it's inevitable. Um, but then again, if you look at 
our, our institutions today? How much credibility does academia currently have with the average person? How much institute, how much uh, credibility do our governments have with the, or any of the, um, you know, surrounding organizations have with the average person? Um, I don't think it's something we should be too preoccupied about because the giants who came before us, you know, made major sacrifices of their credibility of everything in order to pursue this knowledge, like in order for Jung to take the years, it took for him to go into his depths, to do the active imaginations. Like, it, you know, it, it was stuff that could have potentially ruined his reputation as a serious scientist. And, and, and it, it fractured his relationship with Freud, like all of those different things. So I don't think that fear is enough of an excuse, especially because it's we're, we're getting, we're, you know, we we don't have much time is what i'm saying like it's, it's imperative <laughs> I, think, I think what happens is that fear kind of makes people like um try to sound like they're an academic yeah, yeah when they're talking right. about yeah, yeah. magic or spirituality like i i know and and i know what ha i know what happens there is people from the outside go I'm kind of interested in this stuff and they go to listen to it a cult podcast and they're like i have no fucking idea what they're talking about mm um mm. and I don't know how to get into this because there's all these references and all this shit and like that's kind of like what we're trying to do here is like let's talk about a movie and that an inevitable or a, sh a book or whatever and that inevitably like evolves into a talk about spirituality because that's how we look at everything but like it, I think I think that's really important like what you're touching on there to kind of bring things to uh maybe lowbrow not necessarily like that's what we're doing but um but to an accessible level and just like yeah. just talk about shit like a normal person like yeah but it's, it's about respecting people's inner logos which is how Jung puts it like everybody has like the way we relate to the logos in modernity is incredibly ego driven like you see it in the whole kind of debate debate me bro culture online and like you know the kind of like edgy internet atheists versus this like it, the way we relate to the concept of knowledge is as if it's something that we access with our ego mm -hmm. whereas the way Jung talks about it is that it's literally something that exists beyond ego and that it's a force that we have access through you know and we we make our and that we make ourselves cha a channel for and I think if one approaches knowledge in a, in that humble fashion in that sort of humble fashion and one also attempts to surround oneself with others who approach knowledge in that humble fashion, then a lot more can be accomplished. I think the key to this is to ignore or not try to seek credibility from those who approach Gnosis with their ego um, and don't attempt to have a direct experience with it through having the humility of making oneself a channel for it like I know that I'm a midwit in a lot of ways and that I'm like a dilettante in a lot of ways too and that I have a lot of of sharpening of my intellects to do and a lot of growth to do but I also know that the force of intelligence exists beyond me and that I have constant access to it and that by making myself a vessel through for it through being diligent and doing my work in the material realm I can find out what I need to know I don't have to go through like these like these massive like institutions or, or channels. And I feel like I feel like the way we kind of it's not necessarily about making it lowbrow. It's about empowering people with the knowledge that they also have access to the gnosis, that they also carry an inner gnosis within themselves too, one that is capable of more than they can consciously conceive. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's how you sort of empower people to 
and that's how people should also approach these more occult or like metaphysical concepts um and yeah I, I think that that pressure to stand to, to sound like academic stems again from the ego like if you read something like the Tao Te Ching it's so simple it's written in such simple language <laughs> but yeah it's so profound and that is that's the truth. That's how not. That's how gnosis is. That's how knowledge is. That's how the truth is when it comes in its purest form. It's not flowery. It's it's simple enough that an idiot can understand it. It's like um, I'm just here to break duality. Yeah, exactly. Tao Te Ching is just like, come here, crack. Yeah, literally, literally. Well, <laughs> well, it's the. I I think uh, part of the part of the issue today too is that we don't. Um, there's a difference between like knowledge and data or mm. knowledge and information. And I mm -hmm. think, I think what people are obsessed with is information. Information. So yes, like what you're, yes, what, yes, what yes. you're talking, what you're talking about with like the Tao Te Ching and there's these like really simple things. And, you, and when you have spiritual experiences, sometimes what you get is this really simple thing back to you. Like something as, as, as seemingly silly as like all is love or something like that, that, that is as information is not that valuable but when you have the actual experience of that simple thing there's a profundity to it that is uh this earth shattering mm -hmm. and uh it's that i don't know what i don't know what i'm trying to say it's like i think it's very uh, the simplest things are often the easiest to overlook because mm -hmm. of the way our our mindset is now about like just getting more and more information Mm -hmm. versus it's like what is the what is the like knowledge is the information plus the experience mm -hmm. and like how do those unify mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah another duality that we're having trouble traversing um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah definitely definitely <clears throat> any more questions <laughs> sorry it's we've gone we've gone like how long have we gone now <laughs> five minutes <laughs> feels like an eternity <laughs> i just i just want to point out that uh that ego plus logos equals legos i don't know where that means <laughs> that's amazing you should tweet that it's about building your own reality <laughs> build your own world no i was going to say that um, be your own demiurge bring your <laughs> yeah, they can fight we can make bets i was gonna say that um data can be forgotten but knowledge cannot mm. mm -hmm. so if you forget something it didn't probably matter that much like you might be late for a meeting you might have forgotten to pay a bill and you might get a late fee but like the real stuff the stuff that actually qualifies as knowledge you never forget oh yeah and that's that's the difference like we think we we mistake the two constantly but all the time all the time all the time awesome awesome is there any anything else that you guys want to talk about before we round out no that's that's cool if, if that's <laughs> the time you have that's great um it's all good wonderful to have you thank you it was so wonderful to come on and and talk to your to your audience as well thank you so much i should invite you guys on my on my show as well i just started a new show so we'll we'll definitely have you on oh you there's something in addition to low society so oh, yeah. low society has now transformed into mystic and the machine so we are oh. now doing a weekly kind of like live stream slash podcast and we started um 
we started uh yeah the day before yesterday that was our first episode so we're we sort of rebranded revamped and are moving on with a new project that's going to co- incorporate a lot more uh occult weirdness into it so <laughs> 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 yeah you guys can be well, you guys can be one of our first guests for sure for sure that would be amazing yeah um, the link to that will be in the show notes for everyone listening. oh thank you thank you so much thank of course you. and anything else you want to link to everyone will be in there too um, wonderful it's really great to get your perspective and to have someone who's who's like coming into these views and then reapplying them back into societal stuff like i really appreciate this and i'm i'm very i'm very excited to check your stuff out because i kurt invited you and i i don't know your stuff yet but i'm i'm really excited to go check it out now thank you so much i will well like my my i've been making stuff for a while and then i sort of took a long break for the last couple of years and went in my own depths so there's some there like some of my old stuff is still kind of reflective of who I am, but there's been a lot of change and transformation. So this next year is going to be kind of a big kind of a lot of content is going to be put out and a lot of different ideas are going to uh, going to be explored. So, yeah, I'm going through my personal to... evolution. too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, my wife remembered you from. I think Kelly and Maddox. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, yeah, I've done like quite a few interviews with her. She's great. She's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Like way back in the day, she was like, I haven't heard Angie speaks. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's just, she's a priest now and she's not online anymore. Yeah. I'm like, I've, I've like, uh, I've gone in my depths. <laughs> I do that. I've been doing the podcast for the last couple of years, but haven't, I make videos sporadically, but like, I've been more sort of focusing on like life stuff and career stuff or whatever, but like, I'm now, I'm now back in the swing of things. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you so much. This has thank been, you. And, thank um, you so much. We would love to come in and show anytime. Definitely keep it. Yeah. We'll keep in touch. Awesome. I, I always love getting to know other spiritual people online. So definitely, awesome. <laughs> definitely. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks Have a good one. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. Bye. <laughs> Lovely to meet you.